Hi, and welcome to the Murrieta Surf podcast. Today, I've got with me special guest, Chris Short. Uh, before we say hello to Chris, uh, let me just tell you a little bit about Chris's career. So, Chris is an ex-professional soccer player uh, from England. Chris started his career at Scarborough. Um, he had a brief loan spell at Manchester United. Uh, went on to play for Notts County, Huddersfield Town, uh, Sheffield United, Stoke City, and then back to Scarborough, just to name a few. Since um, retiring from soccer, Chris um, was first team coach at Blackpool, and then he went on to be um, a, a fitness coach at several clubs, including Blackburn, Palace, Derby County, Leicester City, and back at Sheffield United. Uh, Chris is currently the head of performance at Oxford United in England, so it's a pleasure to have Chris on the show today. Chris, welcome. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, good to, good to speak to you, mate, and I hope you, hope you well. Yeah, great. Well, what, we've got lots of um, young players at the club, as you know, who are desperate to hear some of your experiences and some of some advice from you. So I'll just crack on with the first question. Okay. Um, so the first one I'm going to ask you is, you started your soccer career, Chris, at Scarborough and were the club's record sale to Notts County to, for £240,000. You also had a loan stint at Manchester United. How did your loan move to Man United come about? Uh, I think I, I get a bit of a um, stick from people, Matt. How many people go to Man United on loan from, from a fourth division team, as it was then? Um, how it happened, mate, was um, we played Chelsea in the League Cup when I was a young, young player at Scarborough. And um, as it, in those games, I played in both those games and did reasonably well. And as a result of that, people from Manchester United watched the game and they invited me through to a... It was more like a trial, really, but uh, they, they clapped it as a loan. Yeah. And I went through there for two or three months, um, played in their reserve team. But you know, I wasn't I wasn't good enough to get to the level that I needed. So um, hence, I, it didn't it didn't work out. But it was a great experience as a, for a young player. And um, yeah, I look back with it with, with some sort of affection. Exactly, you must um, had sort of great experience just being part of a, a you know one of the biggest clubs in the world at Man United. Yeah, I mean, there was talk of me signing for them at one stage, but I, like I said then, clearly when Manchester United, if they want to sign you, they do sign you. So it was clearly, I wasn't I wasn't good enough. But um, I, I still went through that. I trained with some really, really good players and played with some good players. Exactly. And, um, you know, it was a, like I say, it was, a, it was a good experience for a young player at the time. Yeah, well, you went on to play for some other big English clubs, Chris, including, obviously, we've both been at Sheffield United and you played for them, as obviously a Premier League club. Uh, do you remember much about your first game for Sheffield United? And what? And I was going to ask you as well. What are some of your favourite memories from them, those kind of days? <laughs> yeah, I do. I, I do. I remember the first one, Matt, very well. Um, like you said earlier on, we, we both we were both at Sheffield United as players. You were you were younger than I was, and um, you know you you know yourself what a, what a big club it is, and and, yeah. and even bigger now. It's it's gone on to different a different level. But um, at the time. Um, yeah, I went there. My debut was actually at Arsenal away in the FA Cup for, for United down at Tybury, and then we, we, we got a draw. And then we, we, we returned leg and we beat them at, at Bramall Lane. So that was the, my first taste of it. And it just did a, an understanding of how big the club was and, and what support and potential it really had. But um, yeah, I played maybe 50 games for them, 60 games. And um, unfortunately, one year under Howard Kendall, we went to the playoff final. And in the semi-final, I, I played in the game, and um, I think I broke my leg two or three days before the playoff final. So that was a, that was a blow, but oh, wow. it was it was a privilege to play for the club, and you, you know yourself what, yeah. what a good club it is. And um, I'm glad they're doing so well now. It is, yeah. You know, it's uh, for for me as well as Sheffield United. It's a great club. Obviously, it's, like you said, it's come on um, this last couple of seasons, and they've been doing absolutely great. Uh, now they're doing the flying in the Premier League as well, and um, you know, good good days and good be good to be part of a big club like that. 
Um, it is, it, it is, and you know, obviously the, the rivalry between them and Sheffield Wednesday is, is still very fierce, and, and let's hope, being a being an ex Blades ourselves, that you know that can be, you know, Wednesday can get into the Premier League as well, and and and, and they can um, play each other in the, in the top flight. Yeah, that's right, Chris. Um, you've got, you've obviously had a lot of experience playing. Um, at all different levels in England and um, my next question was going to be well, who's the best player you've played with and against and why would that be? <laughs> That's a really good question mate That's a really good question Gosh, um, I mean I've been very fortunate to play with some really really good players but only for a couple of times so I know when I was at United um, we had um, Ian Rush came there on loan you probably remember Rushy coming in there and people like um, yep. Paul McGrath came um, but you know, I played with them for only a couple of times. To actually just play with them in training was a, was a real privilege. Um, I remember United as well. Gordon Cowan's played for Aston Villa for a lot of, lot of, lot of years and, and played, I think he played for England as well. But he's a really, really outstanding player and a really good lad as well. Um, was, was there a defining thing that made these players different, Chris, from the rest of the, you know, all, all obviously very talented players, all pro- professional footballers. And uh, what made these players different? Um, I, I think when... when when Ian Rush came to United, clearly he was well past his best now, and a lot of people probably have forgotten that he actually came. But just to watch him in training and just to watch his movement and his little touches and his understanding of the game, so it was, it was their football brain, as it were, that really impressed me. Yeah. And then with with, with Sid, with with Gordon, Gordon Cowan was a wonderful, wonderful passer of the ball and technically outstanding. But um, yeah, there's been there's been a whole whole raft of players really, and it's very difficult to put. Yeah. To, to pinpoint one, um, but you know, it was, a, it was a pleasure to play with Sid. Yeah, he was, was a real, real talent. That's great. That's great, Chris. Thank you for that. Um, now, coming to another thing, obviously there was an incident when you uh, collapsed on the field playing for Stoke City uh, when you played against Fulham in 1998. What do you remember about this incident, Chris, and how did that change your career? Um, yeah, it was. I mean, we'd, I'd signed for Stoke, left United in that summer, Matt, and then signed for Stoke, and, and, we, and we started the first seven or eight games really well. We were top of the league, and we went to Fulham on the evening on a Tuesday night at Craven Cottage. And I remember feeling really unwell before the game. And to cut a really long story short, uh, it, it, it was um, an issue I'd had for a long period of time. I'd, I'd taken a drug for a skin problem I'd, which I'd had, um, and unfortunately, um, it caused the, the, the problems to. to um, to stop my career, I tried to look into it and try to, you know, sue the company for for, for sort of, you know, um, finishing my career as it were. But yeah. there's a, a long, long process involved. But um, yeah, so it, it was down to a drug that I took, um, and I, I got to the point where I just could not sprint in the game, and I, I couldn't, um, I couldn't finish a game without any without any real um, strong muscular pain. Um, and, and that game was was probably the last straw and um, yeah. collapsed on the pitch with. Like debilitating pain in, 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 in both legs and both arms and my face, and uh, mm-hmm. and subsequently the, the company or the drug that they use now is um it's it says athletes shouldn't cause this it causes serious pain so it right. was too late for me um, and a shame because I, I wasn't a player who was blessed with great skill you know my game was based on speed and sort of fitness so it was uh, it was it was a, it finished me really it was, a, it was it took me a long long time to get over it yeah yeah there must have been a scary part of your career you know not knowing uh, what was next um and i know we just spoke before the podcast started about you know after after we finished playing the game um but you know this question is a you know open-ended question what where do you what do you miss most chris about the playing days and um, i mean obviously there's there's a lot of things you'll probably miss about what's what's the main things you miss about playing the game yeah. Um, I think it's probably the same question you'll get asked, Matt, yourself. It's probably the the change room. You know, you, you'll, there'll be people that you've you've played with and um, 
shared some special moments with and and you can go five ten years without seeing them and indeed when well, I remember being out in California recently and we, we met up for the first time in years and years it was, it was like we'd, we'd never we'd, we'd only seen each other the week before so it's, yeah. it's that camaraderie in them in the changing room and it's I think it's also that feeling there where you're actually paid to do something you really enjoy doing and, and, and you you're as fit as you potentially can be um so it's and being a competitive person, it's always ticks loads and loads of boxes. So those two or three things, probably more than anything, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Cause thanks for sharing that. You know, it's um, I've got um, a few more questions here that I want to ask you. Um, I'm going to move on slightly. So obviously, being based over here at Marietta Surf in the USA, have you had any experiences working across the across the pond, Chris, in in America? I've, I've been very lucky, actually. Oh, 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 depends how you look at it. I came over to work with Steve, actually, Stevie Miles, um, who we know both know very well. He's, he's, he's in charge of the Surf Academy over there. So Steve yeah. and I worked together briefly in California for about six months on a project um, up in Los Angeles. Unfortunately, um, you know, there was a problem with my visa, so I had to go home. And then more recently, I worked with Brad Friedel at his soccer academy over in Cleveland, Ohio. So, um, which again was a shame because it was just around about the time when the recessions took over and the actual facility and what Brad put into it was unbelievable. It was a terrific, terrific sort of project. Yeah. And it was a shame that after a year, year and a half, it, it folded. Um, so my desire to work back in the States is still still high. You know, um, There's a couple of opportunities I've been offered recently to work in the MLS, but they didn't sort of um, work for me personally. But um, yeah, yeah. And, I, and I know soccer out there is huge and, and I know we've spoken quite regularly recently yeah. how much you enjoy it and, uh, and, and and how big the game is growing over there. So well, yeah, I'd like to come back. Yeah, yeah that's good. Well, I remember uh, the Brad Friedel Academy, actually. I've, I've recently seen a few pictures. I mean, it was based, I think, on a... Is, am I correct in saying it's a British academy? Was it based on was it Blackburn's uh, Chris? Yeah, I think so. Matt. I think I think Brad was at Blackburn at the time, so a lot of things from from there he took with him. But it was a, it was you know I think at the time it was ten or twelve million dollars or around that. So it was a real a yeah. lot of money being spent on it. And uh, yeah. again, the the idea was fantastic. Players came in, they they got educated at school, and they they were coached in the evening by European and American coaches. And it was. Um, it was set to sort of be really successful, but like I said, it was a time when the recession took over and a lot of companies and a lot of people um, had to withdraw money. And unfortunately yeah. for Brad and, and myself, we had to sort of um, to leave it there. But uh, yeah. yeah, it's a shame. But I'm sure, um, I'm sure similar things will take off in the states if they're not there already, as, as we speak. Yeah. Well, you know, um, I, I'm going to ask you. You've answered the next part of the next question. How did how did your family react to the idea of you coming across to the USA? And working over here, and um, yeah, that's a good question, mate. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 when I was born in Germany, so so I've, I've sort of had a bit of a different upbringing. That you know, I, I was born abroad, and England was was my first country of sort of residence. So um, I've always had an interest in travel, yeah. and, and, I, and I love I love the United States. I've, I've been very lucky to to have been over there several times and done a lot of travelling over there. So um, I think if you like the country and, and you have a sort of desire to sort of broaden your horizons, then I think it's a it's a great opportunity for anybody. Um, my family initially were a little bit reticent, um, but my wife came with me at the time, and we didn't have kids at that, that, that then. Um, but we, we 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 thoroughly enjoyed our time there. You know, Ohio was very very cold in winter time and very hot in summer, but mm. we had a great experience, and it's something that we'd, we'd love to do a go again if, if if it came up. So, if you've got someone with you, or you've got a family who are very very um, uh, open minded, I think it's it's a, it's a wonderful way of. Um, yeah. Of learning, 
Fantastic, Chris. Um, you've obviously worked uh, for some top-class coaches, and I, I was I was looking the other night who you've worked for, and some of these guys you work for, obviously Sven Goran Eriksson, ex uh, England manager, uh, Swedish and Swedish, I think he was in the Swedish national team. Uh, Mark Hughes, Neil Warnock, Howard Kendon, Howard Kendall. Sorry, just to mention a few of them. Um, who's the biggest, or who has been the biggest, Chris, influence on your career? Um, that's a really good question, mate. As well, I mean, we were both at United with Howard, um, yeah. and uh, you know, sadly he's passed away now. But he was a real, as you know, a real football man, a wonderful, wonderful um, company, and, and uh, he was he was a huge influence on my career. And I'll always be indebted to Howard, um, Neil Warnock. He gave me my opportunity first in football, and he's given me opportunities since I've moved around clubs. So Neil, uh, I owe him a, a huge um, uh, gratitude. But I was also impressed by loads of other different people. You know, people like, like say, Mark Hughes in a different way. Graham Souness, yeah. Sven was a lovely, lovely man. Very humble. Um, and then there's people like you know probably aren't as well known, but have been terrific coaches as well. Um, there have been so many. Um, Neil Lennon, I was lucky to work with at, uh, at Bolton Wanderers, and Stuart McCall and Gary. You know, so it's a long, long list. But um, I know the biggest influence, probably outside my family, is, has, has been probably Stevie. You know, Miles. You know, he's we know him very, very well. Yeah. And we know um, about his great energy. But you know, I'm, I'm probably a bit biased. But um, I, I, I've been coached by Steve, as I think we both have yeah. back at United. Yeah. And. Um, I think his manner, the way he, he, he delivers his sessions, his ideas, his enthusiasm and energy. So I think you, yourselves at the club at Muretta might have got a wonderful yeah. um, person in charge to lead the club to a, to, to a different level. I'm sure he's trying to push that as well. And like, like with yourself, you've been influenced by him as well. So, yeah, without a doubt. Um, you know, he, he might not be the household name, say, for instance, like Sven or um, Neil Lennon, but he's, he's, and I've said this many, many times to him. Um, he's probably one of the greatest coaches I've worked with and seen seen working. And he's a uh, he's uh, you know that's that's the level I the, the regard I held I, I hold him in. So he's um, yeah, yeah he's, a, he's a great great friend, but he's a terrific terrific football man and he, he, is. he loves football. And, and, uh, and I think you know, Chris, so. sorry to cut you short, is just the man management skills. I look back as myself as my career as well, like you do, and obviously work for different types of managers and coaches. And uh, I particularly remember the ones with great man management skills that really actually showed some care. And um, I remember when you came across to the US a couple of years ago and you shared a story with me when you, it was actually, I think it was one of your first games, you can correct me if I'm wrong, uh, one of your first games for Sheffield United when you were slightly nervous and I think Kendall came over to you and had a chat with yeah. you. He recognised it, did he not, before the game that you was nervous? Yeah, he did. Uh, I think yeah, it's, it's a great point, mate, that, you know, the very best managers, it's not, it's not always, it doesn't always go noticed about their, their that, that part of their... Um, Makeup, you know, like Neil Warnock was a, was a wonderful man, man manager in a different way to Sven was, in a different way to Howard was. And like you said, then Howard noticed that I was nervous, and two or three words, or a little wink, or a little, you know, an acknowledgement. And it was almost that, you know, you, you had his, you know, he you, you had your trust. Yeah. So he made you feel, he made you feel as though, you know, you were probably a better player than. Than what you really were, and that's a it's a, it's a great big thing. It and is. and Stevie's got that in, in abundance. You know, exactly. he, he makes you want to coach, uh, train. Sorry, and, and the best the best coaches I've worked worked with are probably the ones that you've really enjoyed the session because not 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 the content of the session so much, but the, their personality and their enthusiasm, and it really gets you through. And that's exactly that's vitally important. Big part of it. I mean, Chris, you've had a stint as well as a first team coach at Blackpool. Um, can you tell me a bit more about the experience when you became the the first team coach there? 
Yeah, well, it was it was um it was one where Gary Bowie, a good friend of mine, he got the job there, and um, I just left Bradford through a contractual dispute. And um, even though my background was sports science and, and strength and conditioning, obviously my background in playing, he offered me the chance to go and do some coaching. Um, I've done a little bit in the past, but not a lot. And I did find it quite quite daunting and quite difficult. Um, you know, you, you're dealing with a different set of um, skills that you have to do, and and you, you know, could you see parts of the game and, and make some observations and give that nice to, to the manager? So I yeah. found it very useful. I also found that I knew that I wasn't going to be a coach, but sometimes you've got to do something to realise that you're not going to be that good at it. So um, I'm sure you've you've had that in your coaching career where you've um, you've really sort of improved by making probably. Um, yeah small mistakes along the way and I'm, you know I was I was never going to be a coach and I, I, I knew that very very early on but I did know that there's a slight overlap overlap between um, being a coach and certain drills that you can do as a sports scientist or a sports um, fitness coach exactly Chris you know from being a player to a coach it's uh, it's not always an easy transition and you know it's great to have the experiences of playing the game at a decent level but then when you come on and have to relay that information to maybe youth players or men or women or whatever you're coaching, it's a completely different skill set. You know, it's um, it's kind of learning the job again and getting the information that you've got and your experiences out and, you know, giving it to other people. And it's a different, it's a completely different thing. But I remember, yeah. I remember during your playing days, Chris, you were always very physically fit and strong. Uh, like you mentioned earlier, that was part of your game. Uh, after you finished your playing career, you went on to be a strength and conditioning coach as well at various top clubs, which we mentioned. What made you decide to go into this field, Chris? Is it something you've always had a passion for? Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, you gravitate towards things that you enjoy. So I always enjoyed the, the fitness, the physical side of things when I played. And even when I wasn't playing football, I was I was, I was was cycling or rowing or or, or swimming. So I was, I was quite competitive. Um, I enjoyed keeping fit. So naturally the my desire to follow that path was easier because I had a, I had a real interest in it so you know I wanted to follow that path I went to university and did my degree in, in physiology and sports science so um, yeah. yeah I think yeah. it's because of you know that you know that that's that's, that's you as that's part of your makeup and uh, you know, and I knew that coaching probably wasn't going to be me and I thought that, that side would interest me more brilliant well, thanks for sharing that with us that's great um, so Next thing I want to ask you is, compared to when you first started playing, how much more important now is strength and conditioning for today's modern player and our youth players, especially at Marietta Surf? Well, I think it's huge, Matt. You know, we've 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 um, grown up in the same sort of era, playing yeah. professionally back in back in the UK, and and, and now, I mean, I, I'm great because my my job is sports science. But you know, when I was when I just about packed like, back, back in. in 1999, 2000, um, science was just in its, in its infancy. You know, we were just about wearing heart rate monitors, yeah. um, but there was no gym as such. There was no, there was no power, there was no testing, there was no GPS certainly. So the the games come on in an incredibly um, scientific way over a short period of time. Um, I think 90% of it is, is great. I think 10% of it is, is a lot of um, unnecessary data. So it depends on what you want to measure and what, what you want to look for. Um, yeah. Some people become, become obsessed with it and then other people might have a bit more of a measured approach where you look at data and stuff that you collect for players and then you can then you can use that as well as your instincts. But um, the good thing now is the modern day player is there's no sort of hiding place. So get tested regularly um, and there are certain benchmarks that you have to meet. And if you don't meet them, generally, unless the manager can see through those you, you're not you're not considered so um, yeah 
yeah, there's been a, there's been a huge, a huge um, difference from when I when I packed in. That's for sure. There is that certainly. I've, obviously, I've, friends I speak to back in England. Uh, obviously, a few of them still working in the professional academies, and they, they tell me how things are moving on. Even since the last three years that I've been in the US, and um, you know, each a certain club that one of my friends works at, his his players get tested every single morning. They can, they come in for their hydration levels, and yeah. um, if they they're not hydrated, the, the boys don't train. You know, they, yeah. they, they stay, you know, you're not hydrated, you're not able to train. And then during the training sessions, like you say, Chris, they wear heart rate monitors. And sometimes the performance coach will say to the coach that who's taking the, you know, the session will go, listen, the boys, the boys have hit what they need to hit today. Yeah, they've, they've, yeah. Done, they've done enough. And so the, the session will stop and the boys will walk off the field at times. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that's great as well. You know, we, we have, the, you know, I'm sure you've seen it as well, the GPS. We, we have a live feed every single day and we, we can measure how far each player's gone or how far they haven't gone, yeah. uh, depending on where they're at. Um, I think sometimes, though, it can become a little bit too intrusive. So, like you mentioned, hydrations, we do that and we do like, um, uh, we'll do blood tests every week and we'll do other things. But once you get a player coming in every single day doing five or six things, a lot of professional players, probably can't deal with that amount of input you know they've got to do four or five little tests before they actually come into the into the um onto the onto the training field they might have to do a, a hydration they might have to look at a, a counter movement jump they might have to do a blood lactate test they might have to do a, an isometric test and, and then what i try to do as i've got older is try and um, reduce the amount of things they have to do before training but actually really really concentrate on two or three things that they have to do really well um yeah. so i have found that you can collect so much data and because the data is so so busy ultimately if you can't actually use a data or, or um, help the coaches make a decision then it's almost like a waste of time really so um, I'm all for testing and I'm all for uh, sports science um, applications you can use but there comes a point where you think wait there how, how yeah. much how much can you use in the period of time that you have with the players anyway? So it's it's balancing out, right? No, I, I get that. You know, and uh, you've just touched on like obviously we spoke about hydration, nutrition. You know, it's a part of the game now. Uh, so just for our young players that move to surf, what um, what advice could you give that's imperative for them, for them young players to do, as in you know preparing for a game or preparing for training, or just as a general lifestyle, as with their nutrition. I think that, like you, you, you're rightly so, mate. I mean, the, the, the nutrition side of things now, not just in football or sport, but just in, in life. So you've got a huge, a huge amount of people now turning vegan, a huge amount of people um, just eating fish. Uh, other people are, are looking at, um, you know, looking at alkaline diets. There's so many different diets and, and ways of life out there that you're trying to get to improve your performance. I think with your, with your um, scholars and your players there, Matt, in California being so hot, yeah. probably one of the biggest scenarios you will have is, is, is fluid or, 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 or hydration status. Yeah. And if, if you could bring that into the players even just before they played, certainly when you've got, I mean, I've been over there a couple of times when you play two or three games back to back in really quite yeah. um, demanding conditions with the heat, uh, you yeah. know that more for myself. So I think that hydration is really vital, not just water, but, you know, looking at um, potassium and magnesium and sodium and, and the, the various salts that's made up in, in those drinks that are crucial to athletic performance and, and to, to stop dehydration so i think hydration is a is a massive massive part of it um and then from there you just branch out into all of the various diets yeah that people have um you know for a healthier lifestyle and also for for, for improved performance and there's a raft of supplements out there that people tend to take um and they're trying to look for that that one percent increase in performance and 
some people get for that, some people don't. Yeah, well, I, do you know what, Chris? That's great. I remember you, when you came out here as well. I mean, obviously, it was a really warm uh, period of time when you was out here last. And uh, like you say, I think you was, came to one of our tournaments where there was uh, some of our teams were playing like where we do three or four games in a weekend. And I remember you mentioning obviously fluids, and um, then just just a bit of information for our players. Like you just said, potassium, magnesium. I mean, you mentioned nuts and seeds and things that players should be taking or could be taking. Is there any advice you'd give to our players of certain things they, they could take? Yeah, I think the big thing, Matt, is for your players, obviously, on match day, all those tournament days where you, 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 you've alluded to them, they'll play four games over a weekend, which is like absolutely madness, really. But I, get, I understand why, because, um, yeah. you know, it's part of their, uh, their development and that's been the case for many, many years. Um Obviously, hydration is a huge thing, but then small. I, I suppose when you're playing two games, it's very, very difficult to take on board a large meal. So you, what you want to encourage players to do is try and graze over over that period of time. So you know things like um, looking at the glycemic index of foods and and things like um, fruits and nuts and seeds and sort of protein bars that they can munch on and they can eat throughout the day, so that their sort of glycogen levels are pretty much restored or certainly not as depleted as as, as, as they would be otherwise. So difficult to get a full meal inside them um, maybe what they could do the t- couple of days before the tournaments is to, to load high on, on the high carbohydrate foods and then concentrate on the day with things like Jaffa cakes and and, um, and fruits and berries and nuts and things that they can actually eat quite easily whilst they're, um, they're covering in between games that's great that's, that's fantastic that's good information Chris for our players thank you um, I'm just going to ask you I've got a, a question here from one of our um, USSDA players actually our under 13s player Samir now, Samir wanted to ask you, going back to the football and playing side as well, maybe, um, he wants to know if you'd ever set yourself kind of goals or did you, did you put, like, consciously set yourself goals of what you wanted to achieve? And after that, when you came to some roadblocks or some things that got in your way, how did what did you do to overcome them? Well, I think it's a really good question, Matt, Matt and I think that might be uh, something that um, is becoming more prevalent now because... We have now many, many clubs, you know, the sports psychologists. So the two things that we've spoken about recently are um, uh, sports psychology and, and also the, the, the nutrition of players. And I think probably they're the two biggest things in the game that we're seeing at the moment. Um, you know, um, certain players, you can measure pretty much anything in, in, in sport, but what you can't do is you can't, it's very difficult to measure someone's mind. Yeah. And, and, and you know yourself before games, you know, people um, prepared very, very differently to others. Without doubt. And it was their yeah. sort of unique way of, of doing stuff. So, as far as your question's concerned, um, I, I wasn't one for setting myself targets, really. Um, not, not, not when I was younger. Um, and then, and then if, if I came across a sort of a roadblock, my, my idea was I'd throw the kitchen sink at it and hopefully it would it, it would sort of improve. So yeah. I was big on effort and, and big on trying to sort of improve. But sometimes I was a little bit misguided because I didn't have all the information or I didn't have the, you know, sometimes um, doing more isn't always the best thing. And I know out in, in California where you are uh, and, and, the, and the kids I've coached who are from, from the United States, they've been very, very... Um, good athletes you know very physically very robust and my thing was probably they actually do too much you know sometimes you can do too much you know instead of doing 
you know, an extra session a day, it might actually be more beneficial if they actually did nothing or they did something at a lower intensity so they could actually recover mentally and physically. So yeah. um, certainly the athletes in the US are very, very good, really good good technique and um, very robust. But um, my, my only criticism would be maybe yeah. that maybe they, they, they do too much and there's too much of a demand placed on them. Um, and that can be that can be a problem sometimes. No, no, no I agree with that, Chris. Um, you know, it's um, I think the climate, like you, you know, the climate helps. It's act. There's not usually many days where, uh, hey, we're not with the current climate with what we've got at the moment uh, in the world. But um, you know, yeah. it's a it's a place where you know you can play sport all year round here, and uh, you can literally be outside most days, and uh, and uh, you can play soccer most days. Not, not usually cancelled because of rain or high winds or right. you know. So it, it's um, it. The kids are out to get able to get out more, and uh, I think they, at times you know we do do too much, and um, it's getting the balance. I'm sure, yeah, yeah absolutely spot on. But um, it's a, it's a problem that we, we wish we had in this country. And obviously, the weather's generally not great. You know that. Yeah. Um, when the when the weather does come out, people are more active and probably yeah. more relaxed as well. It makes you you know a better frame of mind. So all those things together have a have a bearing on your performance or your well being, I suppose. That's great, Chris. Well, listen, um, we're just out of time, but what I want to thank you on behalf of uh, Murta Surf and um, the players at the club. Really interesting to hear these stories and uh, your advice that you're passing on. I know you're going to take part in um, our club's Facebook Live um, in the week, coming weeks and uh, pass on some more of your advice to our players. So we really appreciate that at the club, Chris. Thank you very much. Well, thanks, Matt. Thanks for the talk and it's good to speak to you and I hope everyone that there is... Uh safe and hopefully soon we can get back to some sort of normality but, that's um, great and hopefully we'll see you across here soon when you come across next you'll uh, let's come across and say, say hello to the players again that'll be really good thanks Matt cheers I appreciate Chris that. bye mate take bye. care cheers mate